0: Welcome to From the Ground Up. I am Megan Hopper, and I have my co-host here, Scott Galden. Scott, how was your week this week?
1: Megan, I had a great week. Had a great weekend. I had my entire family in. Both daughters and both son-in-laws were here this weekend, and so we had a full house. And Colby had a great weekend with both of his sisters. He just loved every minute he was with them. And then we got to go to DFW Airport for time number 95 and 96 because Colby keeps track of everything okay he can tell you exactly how many times we were at Terminal C so it was it, regardless it was a lot of fun had a great weekend how about you except for the Colts I quote. actually
0: had it was not so much Minshew mania unfortunately but hey we're used to it at this point in time and the Colts as Colts season ticket holders. We actually had family weekend this weekend as well. I have an aunt, I have two sets of aunt and uncles that live in Arizona and my dad's sister and her her husband were up for the week and they have a son that lives in Shreveport and he came up and then their other son lives about an hour from us. Our whole family, my dad's both my dad's siblings and all his their kids were able to come to the house and we hung out and cooked out and grilled out and just hung out. We haven't been at all of us together in one place like that for quite some time. So it was really awesome. It was really special. And so. just to
1: give a quick preview at the end uh, or toward the end of tonight's session, we're going to be talking about family and we're going to be talking about how to keep peace in the family. We're going to talk about insurance to start with. So if you just decide, Hey, I've got, I know everything about insurance. You might want to skip over to that. Cause we're going to talk about some important things about family and faith as part of this as well. So I know Megan, we we've done two shows so far about it, is it right? Two shows so far about insurance. And yep. now we're going to do probably about two more cuz we, we think that's how long it takes to really get to understand insurance. So what if I'm getting my my diagnosis and trying to figure out what to do with my child, what are, what's the next step in the insurance game that we need to know about?
0: So we've talked the previous two episodes about what type of information we need to gather and obtain During the first stages of the diagnosis and looking at the insurance piece, determining what benefits look like, is there coverage within my plan? What does that coverage look like? Are there any potential roadblocks? And so tonight, what I want to talk about are, what if I do hit a roadblock? Where do I go next? And so, again, I want to preface this with anything and everything you are given information wise from the insurance company, get it in writing as much as you can. If you can't get it in writing, make sure that you ask who the representative is that you're speaking with, get the, a reference number for the phone call, the date, the time, all of that information. You can ask them to email you a copy of it, fax it, because should you have to go through an appeals process, all of that documentation will be critical to, to present on, on your behalf or your child's behalf. The first thing is, if you do hit a roadblock, we have to determine, is it a denial? What type of denial is it? Is it a coverage denial, meaning that my plan doesn't cover the autism treatment that I'm seeking out? Is it a full denial? Or is it a partial denial? So what I mean by that is, are they denying everything completely, meaning they're not going to pay for any of it? Or are they only denying part of it where they're only going to pay a small portion of that coverage? And once you can determine that, it navigates you to different, down different paths of what approaches there are. Any sort of denial should hey, always it,
1: let, come with addition. Let, let me ask this because I think this may be important. Whenever you get a denial, there's an immediate emotional response. You're you're going you're gonna to be really frustrated. How do you maybe get over that immediate emotional response to make sure that you stay very objective when you're dealing? Because it's it's really important that you stay objective in these situations, right?
0: Absolutely. And I also think it's okay to process your emotions too. It's okay to be mad. Sometimes you just take a day. You read it, you're yeah. mad, you're frustrated. Get all of that out and say, okay, okay, all right, we're done. I'm done with that. Now what's my next step? Because I'm not taking no for an answer. And so that's where a lot of the times as as a provider, I've helped take over for families of, I understand you're frustrated. They don't even know what the next step is. And so to help guide them through that process of what are my options? Because a lot of people think once it's denied, I have no more options. I don't, and, and that's not the case. There are you different just have appeal processes. look at processes. that as the opening.
1: That's just their opening salvo. That's just their, uh, that's what they tell everybody. You've got to be the yeah. person that says, I'm going to work with this until I get a different answer on it.
0: Yeah. And there have been families that have fought through these and that have literally changed the trajectory of treatment for kids with autism because of their fight. And there's one, just to give you an example, I'm not going to use any names or any major funding sources, but there was a big funding source in the state of Texas who put out a a lifetime limit on visits for ABA several years ago. And it opened into a class action lawsuit, and they lost. And so now um, they don't require authorizations for ABA treatment. They don't. I mean, they... It was a big deal, but it was because there was a group of families who fought because they knew that their rights and their child's rights were being violated. So, um, you know, I, like I said, it's this is where I get all fired up. So I'm probably going to get a little bit spicy on here. I'll try to stay calm. But just going back to that, if you get that emotional response, I need to take a moment and calm down. It's OK to be upset, and angry and frustrated. But then you got to put your hat on and be like, all right, it's game time. We've got to figure out a game plan and how we're going to go about this. And no, sometimes it doesn't always mean no. It just means not right now. Or it means we got to take a different path. And just going back to figuring out what is that roadblock? Is that a full denial? Is it a partial denial? Are they not wanting, wanting to cover the provider I want to see, which is an out-of-network type of denial? Or is it a visit limitation or a lifetime limit? So they're telling me, no, you can't see the provider you want. Are they telling me, no, we're not paying for any of it? Are they telling me, you can have it, but we're only gonna pay for X amount of visits? And once you determine those roadblocks, then it determines which path you're gonna take. So I wanna talk a little bit about the first roadblock. So if there is a denial issue of a full coverage denial, you need to figure out what type of plan you have. Do you have a self-funded plan or do you have a commercial plan? And self-funded plans, a lot of the times, that were When you have a self-plan, you're at the mercy of the employer because they pay all of the claims and they can determine what's covered and what's not covered. And I have had families who sim- have had plans like that. And what they've done is they've actually gone to their HR department and said, hey, this is not a covered benefit on our plan. And I would really like for it to be. And a lot of times, sometimes it's just not they're not educated on what aba is or what the treatment for autism is and i've had companies that have added it to their benefits in in the next benefit year sometimes it's just a level of education and letting them know these are services out there that can help my child sometimes they've never had a child if it's a very small company they've never had a kiddo with autism on one of their policies before so they don't they're not really aware of what those things are excuse me The other thing I want to talk about to what's called MAPIA, and that is the Mental Health Parity Act. What that says, this is something that I learned a couple years ago that was really eye-opening and has actually helped me in several different cases with insurance companies. Insurance companies have two sides of a policy. They have a mental health benefit side and they have a medical side. Because autism is a diagnosis that comes within the DSM, it qualifies as a mental health benefit. And what was happening is insurance companies were paying, insurance companies had different levels of benefits. So like on a medical side, a copay for maybe a doctor's visit for a specialist would have been like $40. But on the mental health side, that copay was like $140. The requirements for each side of the policy were vastly different. And MAPIA came around and said, that's not right. You can't require certain things for medical treatment that are vastly different from a mental health benefit standpoint. And what that does, it basically it, it evens the playing field for individuals seeking services and benefits for mental health. That means that includes substance abuse counseling, all kinds of those t- sort of things where the families are not having to pay a different amount of copay for those types of treatments than they would for a doctor's visit or an ENT visit, those sort of things. MAPIA, which is what we call it, basically states that private health insurance companies can't impose copays or prior authorizations or other requirements on a mental health or substance abuse disorder benefit side that are more restrictive than are um, imposed on the medical or surgical benefit side. That's something if you, once you learn your benefits and you're like, this copay is just ridiculous or this deductible is really high, how does it compare to the medical side? You can argue that. There was actually a, a large funding, a large insurance company several years ago that had to pay millions and millions of dollars back because they had implemented some of these unrealistic costs for patients. And so they had violated MAPIA. The next thing uh, I want to talk about just a little bit is just knowing your state's mandate. So once you know your policy, once you know what's covered and what's not covered. If you hit any roadblocks, looking into your what your autism state mandate says. Every state has a, a mandate which requires coverage of some level for ABA treatment. And so every policy within that state has to follow that mandate. But it is important to note that if you are, like let's say your insurance policy is out of Washington state, but you live in Texas, your policy is required to follow the uh Washington state mandate, not the Texas mandate. So it's important to know that you've got to make sure you know what state your policy is based out of and what that mandate is.
1: What are some of the problems you've seen people overcome by just being consistent? And I'm not going to say demanding, but just not letting go. What are some things you've seen happen for people that are persistent and saying, I'm not going to take the first answer?
0: So we had I've had a family that was denied total coverage for their child because parent the insurance company claimed that the parents were not attending parent trainings. Parent trainings is another pretty common denial that insurance companies will try to use when it comes to coverage of ABA treatment. They can't do that. That's like me punishing your child if they're on a prescription because mom and dad aren't giving them the medication. You can't you can't do that. That's not that's not implementing effective treatments. We went through a whole, because you have, when you have an appeals process with the insurance company, you have your first level of internal appeals, which means you have to appeal it within that funding source. I'm just going to use Blue Cross Blue Shield because they're a major example. But if I have an appeals process with them, I have to go within internally with them with Blue Cross Blue Shield and have them review it. And if they still uphold that denial, then I get to have the opportunity to go to an external review, which is people that are not employed by that insurance company or not. It's a completely separate p- group of individuals reviewing everything that's not obviously financially involved or involved with that funding source. So we, I've definitely worked with families if they're completely denying because of parent training. And I'm like, that's, you can't do that. We actually got that one overturned and won that. So The child, there was a little bit of a a break in services, but the child was able to come back for treatment. I've had kiddos that have had treatments denied hour wise. We went through the process and we got our hours back that we had asked for because they were wrongfully denied based on what the insurance company had said. And sometimes families, for them, it's just easier to not fight their current funding source. And a lot of them will maybe go out and get an individual policy for their child to cover. ABA. Just that sometimes is a little bit easier of a path for them, a little bit more cost effective, especially if they're really wanting to get their kiddo into treatment, into services right away.
1: Maybe we could talk about that because my guess would be for some policies, you know, typically if your child is younger, um, its cost is not that high and you may be able to get better coverage by going out and getting an individual policy than trying to just stay with that group rate. So for those of you that are finding that Your group policy doesn't cover enough. There's there's out there that sell some really nice individual policies that and some of them are are by, you know, I think Blue Shield even has some individual policies that are out there, you know, and uh, some of the changes with the Affordable Care Act, they they have to cover and they have to issue.
0: Yeah. And that's one of the benefits of Mm -hmm. the Affordable Care Act. It did allow more access to coverage. No pre-existing was a thing anymore. And there are most company, at least in Texas, because that's where I've obviously practiced. That's where I know, that's where my knowledge and experience is. Most of them do have, most of the major funding sources, insurance companies do have policies on that. And they vary too. Some people would just prefer to pay the copay every day and be done with it. Some would rather hit that deductible max out of pocket if their child's receiving multiple therapies and just being able to break down the cost of that premium every month compared to what the out of pockets max is going to be. And when they compare it to what the other coverage is, it sometimes actually is a little bit more cost effective for them. So Scott, now that I think we've lulled all of our listeners to sleep with all the insurance stuff, I think it'd be a good time to kind of transition to our faith piece of the sure. podcast. We had a question or kind of response uh, from a, one of our listeners on our Facebook page. And I wanted to mention it and get your thoughts on it. Um, they had just asked, what are some ways to discuss disabilities in church without jumping straight into praying the ASD away or praying the autism away? And how to navigate those types of conversations in a faithful way. And I thought you've been there, we'd love to hear your insight and your experience and perspective on that.
1: I would say that the the thing that as somebody that struggled with this is don't make that person question their faith just because God's not creating a miracle in their life right now. Um God doesn't promise that he's going to do that. And, you know, if 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 he chooses, he has the power to do that, but that doesn't happen in every case. Be sensitive to that. And the the other thing is is I think you have to be real careful about saying things like, you know, God knew what he was doing when he gave you Colby or, you know, cuz you guys are such great parents. I know what that person is trying to tell me is that you're doing a great job as a parent and you're glorifying God. I hear that, but I also hear well, you're the one that's going to have to take over this very, very difficult path because quite frankly, I don't want to be on that path. It's not the path I asked for. I'd rather, much rather be on a different one. Now that I'm on it, I'm going to do the best I can to glorify God with it, but it's not one that I chose. So I think we have to be real careful about that. And It kind of ties into a, a story that I think is really, really critical. It's in the book of Daniel, and it's when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are being bound and, and about to be thrown into this fiery furnace because they disobeyed the king's orders. And that the king says, well, what are you going to do about God now? And they respond, look, our God's capable of rescuing us. We know that. But even if he doesn't, that doesn't mean that it's going to cause us to question our God or lo- or lose our faith. And, and I call that the even if he doesn't, level of faith. And as a parent with an autistic child, I feel like I got a lot stronger in my faith when I kind of developed, even if he doesn't, level of faith. Where it, where it was one that said, yes, I'm going to continue to pray for this miracle, but even if he doesn't, I'm going to still honor him. I'm going to still use this to try to glorify him. I think that kind of our, our Christianity today is very transactional. It's almost like, okay, God, you do this for me, I'll do this for you. But if you don't do this for me, I'm not going to do this for you. I don't think God talks about a transactional relationship with us. He created us for one purpose, and that's to serve and glorify Him. He's not our butler. Our job is to serve Him. His job is not to serve us. I don't want to go too deep into this, but that's just something that I really had to spend a lot of time thinking on and focusing on. To to quite frankly, get out of a little bit of a dark place I was in when I was, when we were first going through this, does that kind of fit with some of the things that you've thought about as far as parents dealing with autism and and, and the faith journey there?
0: Absolutely. And I think it's so important that going on your transactional piece, we've become a society where it's Mm -hmm. me, us, us, right? And we are constantly looking at how we are and we want God to fix things and we want him to, to correct things and do what we want. We don't focus on the ultimate relationship is us serving him. And I think that, like you said, the people that make these comments, they're not coming from a bad place. I think it's just a, it's a perspective, right? And as you grow in your faith, as you are further down your path in your walk with God, your perspective changes and your insight of how do I handle this changes. And I can't think of a, please correct me if I'm wrong. And I am by no means and theologist or anything by any means. I'm far from it. But I'm pretty sure that every person in the Bible that God used, they screwed up somehow. They were far from perfect. So God works in ways and works in people that are so far from perfect. And I personally think Colby's perfect, but that's just me. Gosh, I just, I love him. But I think we we have to consider that too. We can't wait for things to be perfect. We can't wait for cures to happen. And I think we've referred, referenced in the past of there's laws in place that God has put into place that, that cause things to happen. Cancer happens. Somebody's in a car accident. Those things happen. We have to live by mm-hmm. faith, not yes. by feeling, yes. right? This is not about right now. This is not about this. It's about the promise. Mm-hmm. It's about the end. He tells us that at the end, everything, it's, it's good. I've got it figured out, guys. I've got it. You just got to trust me in that journey. And I think living by faith and not by feelings, this is a mind shift. It's okay to have those feelings. It's okay to be frustrated. It's okay to be mad. But ultimately, that faith feeling, that faith and living by that faith has to come at the forefront.
1: Well, and- One of the things I'm kind of reminded now that I'm in the backside of life is my life is a series of like chapters in a book. When you're in chapter three and four, you don't know how chapter 15 and 16 are going to go. Now that I'm in chapter 15 and 16, I recognize I have some scars to show some of the struggles I've been in. Okay. They're not physical scars, but like like physical scars, they're, they're there. I can look at them. I can see where the hurt's been. I know what it looks like, but there's been some healing and I wouldn't trade those scars for any amount of money because they've made me who I am today. I have strength today that I would never have had we not been on this journey. And that involves several different journeys I've been on in my life. That I'm a stronger person because of it. And when you're in the battle, it's hard to see that as you get a little bit further down the road, you can start to see I'm stronger today. One of the things that I would counsel people that are going through, this is where you have to be patient and you have to be willing to wait. And one of the things that I see in a lot of autistic families is they want an answer now, as fast as I can get it, God give it to me now or BCBA, I need to see that now or doctor, I need to see this now. And it doesn't work that way. Autism is more a marathon than it is a sprint it takes time to get there. And it's about doing things on a daily basis to get you to, to the end. It's not going to happen quickly. And you have to set up your days in a way that you make a little progress today, you make a little progress tomorrow, you make a little progress the next day. And then three years down the road, it's like, wow, look at, see, look, look at what we've been able to accomplish. So I, I just have to counsel people to be a little bit patient along those lines as well.
0: Absolutely. And I think that kind of transitioned us into our our family piece of what we wanted to talk about tonight, Scott, and keeping peace in that family. Yeah. P-E-A-C? Well, yeah, P-E-A-C. And,
1: and you've probably seen this, Megan. I, I've <laughs> seen a lot of families that, that are dealing with autism. And quite frankly, they're in a state of chaos. And and I understand that. I understand that chaos, there's a lot of families without autistic kids that are in chaos, right? So why why should they be any different? Okay. But at the same time, you and I know this, Kids with autism need a stable, peaceful environment in which to thrive in. And chaos is probably the worst thing for them. And as a parent, that means you've got to make some real specific decisions on how you're going to live your life from here forward. And it's going to probably cause you to have to change things that may not necessarily be your default switch. You may have to change your default switch from chaos over to planned, structured life. You may have to do that but that's what's important for your autistic child right now and that peaceful predictable environment is what they need in order to grow and excel and adapt and if you you may have the greatest therapist in the world but if you've got a chaotic house they may not be able to accomplish all that they're capable of so may, and what I wanted to talk about tonight is how do you establish that peaceful stress-free household when chaos is just one outburst away right it's one bad thing away and you've got chaos again so
0: and we know kids with autism struggle with anxiety and fear and anxiety is due to fear without because of th- not knowing what's going to happen that's yes. just anybody in general my kids neurotypical they if we are off schedule like it it's just it's chaos and it gives yes. it makes me anxious and so and, and i don't want people to think that they have to have like by this time every day like that no but kids need to be able to predict what's going to happen because when they can predict what's going to happen there's less anxiety there's less fear there's less worry and there's comfort in that i know what's going to happen every single day i know what's going to happen every single night and if things shift a little bit one day it's okay but the overall schedule and routine of the day needs to be the same or as consistent Mm -hmm. as possible dinner time around the same time every night we do dinner and it doesn't have to be necessarily be time because i know there's families that have multiple kids they're running everywhere but the same the things happening so like same,
1: right yes. Din-
0: yes dinner shower brush teeth, bed and and starting with that just a the evening time so that kids know what's predictable sometimes what i've learned in working with them is i can tell them this all day long but until it's put into some sort of visual or a list, Mm -hmm. it doesn't happen. And then when they're able to do that and the kids are able to have that, they actually keep parents on track (laughs) a little bit more. In all because that because when the parents are reinforced, the parents see that this is successful. It brings that level of anxiousness and chaos around the house down a little bit. So they're more apt to engage in that, okay, we gotta get on this schedule. This routine is nice. And the kids, they 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 know what's supposed to happen. I don't have to constantly be on them about when we're going to do the next thing. And I I have a couple examples of things that I use with my kids here now. Please don't take me for my kid. My house is not chaos because it can be a lot of times in all honesty. <laughs> but we try our best with schedules. You said
1: having your own children caused you to I not mean, judge people nearly as much, right? Yes. It's like, okay. Yes.
0: Yes. <laughs> There's parents and families I worked with before I had kids, and we would talk about bedtime, and I'm like, your kids should not sleep in your bed. They should be. Able, and now I'm like, oh, if I could just talk to <laughs> I've those got families some apologizing. now. Like, oh. <laughs> I yeah. I'm like, remember that conversation we <laughs> yeah. had. Yeah. yeah, do as I say, not as I do. Ugh. But this is something just really simple that I my boys have in their lockers. They have little little cubbies that they keep their backpacks and stuff in. And so when they come home from school, they know what the schedule is. Now that doesn't mean that it's exact same it's twenty minutes every night or twenty minutes this and then this, but. It allows them to at least have an idea of of what it looks like. Grayson has to read every day for 20 minutes when he gets home from school. What I do is I just make this little schedule for them. It says, read a book. So he knows when he gets home at night, that's the first thing he's going to do. And then I put some other choices for him and he can just move it down. And so he's my little anxious guy. He has a little bit of anxiety, but this helps him. And so he'll go and check his schedule. He actually told me, it was probably about a month ago, I hadn't quite gotten this out yet for him. And he's, Mom, do you still have my schedule? Can we put it out? And I'm like, Absolutely. It'll help me keep on track too. It keeps me accountable. So I think that's something, a simple thing that families can do. And there's free schedules all over Pinterest and you can Google those left and right all day long. But putting it doesn't have to be big and fancy. Not, if your child's able to read, mm-hmm. just write it down. I know Colby that for him, he likes to have a schedule. And he likes to have a routine, and if you just write down what he has to do, he's, he's a rule
1: follower. Um, he will do exactly what's listed on the paper, you know, and try to put around. It's like yep. you know, do this ten times. He's going to do it ten times, but don't ask him to do it eleven. <laughs> you know, do eleven. Yeah, yeah, that's or it. nine. We're going to do ten, and that's it. I, I guess to some extent, what you have to recognize is with autistic kids you've got to learn to play the game by their rules. They have a set of rules that they're going by that gives them comfort, and a lot of times it's those steady, predictable things right that's that's their set of rules. If you'll play by their rules, it's a whole lot easier than playing by your rules. Use that to kind of be, shape their behavior
0: another thing another thing scott i I don't have it on me, but we all have these phones, right We all have these things that are with us all the time they guess mm-hmm. what they have timers on them and I can't tell you how many times my timer has been used to set expectations for kids. Okay, you're going to be done with this in 10 minutes. You're going to be done with this in five minutes. Dinner's over in 15. Or go to Walmart and get a little digital timer in the kitchen department for six bucks, and you then can start to set really basic expectations for kiddos during their during those times at home with I know I'm just as guilty as the next parent where I'm like, okay, 10 more minutes on this show and then it's 25 minutes later because I got distracted cleaning the kitchen or something like that. That adds another thing that you can use that'll help keep you accountable because we've got to make sure when we're being, as the parents, when we're being, we're setting, putting expectations into place, we're following through with them because kids learn so quickly, autistic or not. Mom says this and they don't follow through. Guess what? Next time I'm pushing it a little bit further.
1: That works for neurotypical so. kids as well, because our <laughs> oldest daughter, Chelsea, used to have a hard time getting dressed and ready for school. So Julie would have the the timer set on the microwave. She would say, okay, when the timer goes off, then you have to go do this. Or, you know, once timer goes off, you need to be prepared for that. And it would be to the point where Chelsea would be like, oh, no, the timer. But it would make her do the things she knew she had to do before that timer went off, right? And mm-hmm. teaching your child to be responsible for themselves, and not you having to be responsible for them, and that's a skill that we're hoping for by the time they're oh, seventeen, eighteen, something like that. You know, one of the things I think is uh, a big challenge that I wanted to talk about that I, I see on on discussion boards all the time is I have a hard time getting my child to go to sleep. My autistic child. You know i'm having a hard time at at bedtime and and getting them to go to sleep i don't want to sound like i've got all the answers because i don't but i do know this that in a lot of cases if you set aside and you disciplined yourself as a parent to follow the exact same process every time you know starting early in the evening okay we're going to take a bath at this time we're going to read book at this time we're going to lay down in bed at this time in in our house, we say a prayer every night. We also say, you know, what was your favorite part of the day? We we have a discussion at the before Colby goes to bed, where each one of us talks about what our favorite part of the day was. We and Colby has to ask, Daddy, what was your favorite part of the day? Mommy, what was your favorite part of the day? And and so there's this routine, and I'm not going to say that it worked the first time. I'm not going to say that it worked the second time. But about the tenth or twelfth time, it started yielding benefits for us. And just, I would encourage parents, set a goal and then be willing to work the process long enough to to give it a shot to work. Don't give up on the second try when it doesn't, when it doesn't work as well as you hoped it would. They will get it. You've got to, you've got to give it a little bit of time.
0: Commit yourself yes. to a time frame. We're going to do this yes. for two weeks or we're going to do this for three weeks. I wish I had the stat in my head, but it's gone now. I want to say if you days. do something 28, well, it's 28, times days, go, 28 yeah. days, okay, so it yep. is up there. Yep. I just, wrong file. Yeah, that's a month. So commit to it for one month. Kids struggle mm-hmm. with sleep, like you said, but those routines help.
1: When you're out in public, my, my wife did this to to perfection. We were at a wedding one time, and we could see Colby was getting a little bit upset. I mean, he's just sitting there, it's not knowing what to do. Well, they had a guide for, you know, here's the, the things that are going to happen in the wedding. And what she did, she took that sheet of paper and she put a box in front of each one of those lines, right? And then as they finished that line, she gave Colby pencil. And so he could check off, okay, here's where that's over with. And he knew that at the end of this, it would be over and he could could see predictably what it was going to do. Now, the only problem with that was in the song, they they listed the songs they were going to play. And they had one song that was listed as a box song. It was a Mozart and Colby knows his music. And so when he got to that song and he started playing that song, he started screaming out Mozart, Mozart, Mozart. (laughs) It was, it was a little embarrassing. You know, we had to say, okay. And then, so we, 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 you know, we penciled in Mozart on the uh, program. Yeah. (laughs) And again, not every autistic kid is the same. Mine was completely different than yours, but there are some principles that we can use in a lot of these cases. And and I think that's important. And it goes back to, you know, one of the things that we talked about is the stress that couples that have autistic children are under. And uh, if, if we want to accomplish anything in this podcast is we want to give your family, keep your family together, have a strong family, have a strong unit so that you can support that child. And the more peaceful your house is, the less stress there is, the more you guys can be a strong unit. So take take some of these ideas commit to having a peaceful household whenever you can and try to look at things that create chaos and eliminate those things. It will give you a stronger marriage. and It'll give you a stronger household. So hopefully hopefully that was a tip that will help you over time. Megan, what are some things we need to ask people to do this week? We've got a couple of things that we've got requests for.
0: Absolutely. So I think the first thing I want to say is if you've liked what you've heard here on our podcast, go ahead and click the thumbs up button down below. Subscribe to our channel you also can follow us on our Facebook page from the ground up, and your likes and your subscriptions help others be able to find us. We talk to the families of, of kids with autism, but I think what we share is also valuable to other families members as well—aunts, uncles, cousins, nieces, nephews, grandparents—because it get, helps give them some insight too of how they yes. can support as well. If you if you know somebody that has a, a has a cousin or or an aunt or an uncle that has is experienced. Uh, somebody in their family with autism, I think, I hope that our, our information is beneficial to them as well. Um, so be sure to share this with others so that so that we can be um, found and, and that we can hopefully bless and encourage more and more more folks. I did talk a couple weeks ago, my website, hopperconsulting.com. There is a free checklist for families who just received their autism diagnosis, so please go there and download that information. It'll help navigate through these steps we have been talking through the last three weeks about insurance and answer some of those questions and concerns and and roadblocks that families may face. Scott, you wanna talk a little bit about the Hills?
1: Yeah, if you happen to be in Tarrant County and are looking for a church home, we would love to have you be a part of it. We have a respite program at all three of our campuses. We have Sunday morning Bible class for special needs kids every Sunday morning. And uh, in a couple of our campuses, we have some small groups for families with special needs children. We're a church that believes that we're here to serve and we want to serve those families. So if you're in the area, you're looking for a church that can support your family that if you have a special needs child, please look up thehills.org. We have three campuses. One is in Keller. One's in North Richland Hills, and the other is in West Fort Worth. If you'll e- email me, I'll be happy to put you in contact with one of our special needs ministers at a campus that's close to you. We'd, we'd love to have you part of our family. We definitely wanna make this content very applicable to help you in your life. So if you've got a question, put it either through Facebook or send us an email. We'd be happy to answer it on air. And we love your feedback. And thank you for your support and your prayers. Megan, anything else for this evening?
0: I don't think so. I'm just excited for all the questions.
1: Good night, everybody. So,
0: thanks, guys.